Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all of them, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 148. So I am recording this on September 13th, 2021. And so it is a Monday as usual. And um, I always love to record on Monday. So if you're new to the podcast, you can kind of set your podcasting schedule to pick up the new episodes on Mondays. I almost always um, record on Monday. And last week was actually the first time that I kind of repurposed a, um, an episode. And I did it really intentionally because I wanted to just be sure if you hadn't gone through that earlier episode from a couple of weeks prior on teaching goals and kind of evaluating your teaching, that you took some time to do that. So I'm wondering, did you do that? If you have, I would love for you to send me a direct message on Instagram and let me know what kinds of revelations came up for you. And if you haven't, my question to you is why not? (laughs) And that has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you. Um, I'll tell you friends, being a yoga teacher is very much a self-driven process. And, you know, to a certain extent outside of taking your 200 hour teacher training and um, completing that, there really isn't anybody checking in on you to see how you're doing. And so it really takes a lot of your own drive and determination to improve yourself. And, you know, if you're the kind of person that's out there saying, you know, hey, everything is fine, I'm doing fine, I've got no issues. I mean, that's great that you feel that way. And and maybe that's actually true. However, what I would say to you is, well, what about your growth as a teacher? Because growth as a teacher does not happen when you kind of sit back in this feeling of, well, everything is going fine. Growth comes from challenging ourselves. And to a certain extent, even when you listen to that episode, it is a self-driven process that I'm giving you. So I'll just say right out of the gate, it's really hard to evaluate yourself. I mean, it would be hard for me to do it for myself because you just can't be objective. And that's one of the, the main benefits to working with a mentor. And again, you know, yoga teachers, we're all kind of islands out here unto ourselves. And especially with the impact of the pandemic 
shutting down studios, I know that many of you don't have a mentor, are out there by yourselves. And even if you run through that exercise that I shared in that episode, you might, you might just end up feeling more confused. So I would say do it. And as you go through it, if you have questions, if you would like to run through it with me, just send me a DM on Instagram and just say, Hey, I would love to book an hour free consultation with you coaching session. And, um, and run through this evaluation tool with you. And I'm happy to do that. So just send me a DM on Instagram and, and we can set that up. So um, I wanna remind you if, you, if you don't know, I've been advertising this on Facebook. I wanna reach as many teachers as possible that this week kicks off workshop two and three in my free three-part workshop training. Uh, that I'm holding on Facebook. And right out of the gate, I'll tell you, if you don't have a Facebook account, you can still watch these workshops because I've made a link available on the uh, directory page that you gain access to when you register for the training. So you don't need to um, worry. If you're not on uh, Facebook, you don't have an account on Facebook, you can still watch these workshops. The point of the uh, overall training is really intentional on my part. You know, rather than get into the nitty gritty of anatomy, what I wanted to do is give you really actionable skills that I hear from teachers all the time they want to build more of. And these are skills around cueing and sequencing and answering questions that they get from students about injuries and the body. And so each one of these workshops covers one of those skills. So this is a really actionable skill focused training. And I'm not getting into the anatomy. I'm, I'm, I'm not even assuming that you know the anatomy. What I'm doing is fast forwarding intentionally to the skills you'll have once you learn the anatomy, once you put the time in and learn the anatomy. And for those of you out there who participate in this training and you're super psyched about what you've learned and you know that you need to learn anatomy, but you're kind of mired in this story, which I hear again, all the time from teachers, which is I can't learn anatomy. It's too hard to learn. I'm not science-minded. Um, I get really stressed out. I don't know what resources to tap into. I'm going to tell you, um, not really a secret, but it's it's definitely something that's not done out there when it comes to teaching anatomy. And that is learning anatomy can be stress-free and dare I say, even fun. And the most effective way to do it is to learn just the key aspects of anatomy in a step-by-step -step way. And unfortunately, what most teachers are doing is they know they don't know something and they Google it or they you know, pick up a book here or there and they get into all of these details as they say down the rabbit hole and they just get more confused than getting their question answered. And this is one of the problems with trying to learn anatomy on a do it your own way sort of path. Um, it's much more effective. And I know this from taking teachers through my own program, which surprise focuses just on the key aspects of anatomy and does it in a step-by-step -step way. So I'm not just saying this stuff just for the heck of it. I'm saying it because I've seen the benefit to the teachers who have run through a process like this with me. So despite that whole issue, 
remember the reason I'm focusing on skills is because I want to give you quick wins. I don't want to, for this training, take you through a number of hours of content and have you leave excited, but with nothing to really implement. It's really important to me that you get something super tangible out of it. So workshop one was last Thursday. The recording is on the directory page. Workshop two is tomorrow, which is Tuesday, the 14th. Uh, and then workshop three, the final workshop is Thursday of this week, Thursday. And the workshops are at 2 p.m. Eastern time, but if you can't make it, you can just watch it on Facebook or using the link on the directory page. So here's what you need to do. Just um, go to my website, barebonesyoga.com. And on the events page, you're gonna see the link to register for the training. When you register, you're gonna get an email from me and there's a link in the email. There's a button that says download workbook. Do that because you're gonna want the workbook to go with the training. And then since workshop one is already done, when you get the directory page, which is essentially a thank you page, thank you for registering. And you're going to see that once you register, you'll see the link for workshop one is right on there. And even if you're on Facebook, you can watch it right from there. Um, but if you are on Facebook, there's a special Facebook group I created just for this training series. After it's done, I'm going to delete the group. So the majority of you I know are going to be on Facebook. So I'm just going to speak to it as if you're on Facebook. Um, join the group because there's been a lot of chatter in there. I'm asking some inquiry questions and teachers have been really great about commenting. So there's just really nice flow. There's about 100 people in there right now and growing. So that's coming up this week, Tuesday, Thursday, workshop two and three, quick wins, actual implementable skills you can put into place straight away. And as you're going through these workshops, if you're feeling that pang of like, oh God, she's bringing up anatomy, she's talking about muscles, I don't really know this, don't worry. Because right now we're focusing on skills. And once the third workshop is done, I'm gonna give you something actionable you can do to address your concerns around learning anatomy in a stress-free, fun way. So today what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk about different muscles of the shoulder. And I've gone through this kind of thing in different ways. I've kind of addressed it in different ways. Today, it's really gonna be focused on just kind of a quick review where, um, you know, for those of you who are familiar with the muscles, maybe this will be review. For those of you who are new to really learning this information, this will be kind of an audio only way to hear some of these names. And more importantly, what I'm going to attempt to do is pull this at the end of this episode into the different kinds of cues you can give that speak to, to shoulders. So let's just kind of start from the basics. I want you to be sure that you're making a distinction in your mind between shoulders and scapula. Even though the shoulder is comprised of the scapula and the humerus and the clavicle, the shoulder joint is distinct from the scapula. And our cues as yoga teachers to the shoulders are gonna be different than our cues to the scapula. And we'll get into a couple of examples there so you'll get a sense of that. Now, um, the other thing that we should do to, again, keeping in line with the way I teach anatomy, starting from the fundamentals, is let's take a look at what the anatomical movements are for the shoulder joint. And more importantly, 
what kind of joint it is. So the shoulder joint's a ball and socket, and therefore it moves through all planes of motion. The planes of motion are the sagittal, the, uh, the sagittal plane, the frontal plane, and the transverse plane. And in the sagittal plane, we have flexion and extension. In the frontal plane, we have abduction, abduction, and adduction. And in the transverse plane, we have external and internal rotation. Now in yoga teaching, we use lots of different words to describe things. We might say to somebody as they reach their arms up in warrior one, extend your arms to the sky. But in reality, the correct anatomical term for reaching the arms up in the air is flexion of the shoulders. Most people aren't gonna know when they're reaching up in warrior one that they're flexing their shoulders. So that's why it's a little bit of a mismatch to even say that. But it's really important as yoga teachers that we understand and we know how to reverse engineer what we're saying in that yoga speak back to its original anatomical root, because that's how you end up having the ability to create cues where you really know what you're talking about versus being someone who's just repeating what somebody said. If you're just repeating it, you can't reverse engineer it back to its anatomical terminology. If it's coming from what you know, then yes, you can do that. So um, what I want you to do now is just kind of envision that you are uh, standing up and your arms are by your sides and your palms are facing forward. So this is anatomical position. So anatomical position, standing with the feet hip width, arms by the sides, palms facing forward. If you reach your arm up, that's shoulder flexion. If you reach your arm back, that's shoulder extension. If you reach your arm out to the side, that's shoulder abduction. If you reach your arming, if you're reaching your arm in towards the middle of your body, that's shoulder adduction. As you reach your arm, uh, as you turn your palm forward, that's external rotation. As you turn your palm backward, that's internal rotation. So you can start to already think about different postures where the shoulder joint is gonna be in these different kinds of positions. So as I said, in warrior one, the shoulders are in flexion. In airplane, the shoulders are in extension. In upward dog, the shoulders are in external rotation. In thread the needle, the arm that's sliding underneath you is in internal rotation. As you interlace the fingers behind the back and squeeze the shoulder blades together, again, that's another example of external rotation. And as you come into something like warrior two, your shoulders are in abduction. As you come into eagle, your shoulders are in adduction. So those are different examples of how the anatomical movements uh, translate into the postures. And that's a really, really great way for you to test your knowledge of just fundamental anatomical concepts, meaning the anatomical movements. Pull up a bunch of pictures of poses and you could even just for the shoulders alone, look at the shoulder joint and see if you can identify what are the anatomical movements happening uh, of the shoulder in these different poses. So now that we've talked about the shoulder joint, it's a ball and socket, moves through all planes of motion. We described the different motions. Uh, anatomical movements, and we did a couple of examples. There's one other thing I want to make sure you know and, and recognize. 
Joints move through ranges of motion. And, and right there in the term, there's the word range. So range here refers to a lot of different points along a continuum. So if you reach your arms up in the air, these shoulders, the shoulders are in flexion. However, if you reach your arm halfway up, your shoulders are in flexion too. So it's described as a range. If, if you can imagine a protractor, and how the protractor measures an angle. And an angle can be 180 degrees, 120 degrees, 30 degrees, 40 degrees. That is literally how you measure joint movement. And instead of a protractor, you use a tool call, called a goniometer. Now we don't do that as, as um, yoga teachers, but physical therapists use that tool to measure your joint range of motion. And the reason this is important for us as yoga teachers is number one, it's a fundamental concept in anatomy. And number two, it's a lot of what we see in our students. I mean, I want you to imagine you're teaching a class of 10 people and you ask them in warrior one to reach the arms up to the sky. And you see dozens of very, or you see a number of variations in that. You might see some people with their arms straight up in the air. You might see other people with their elbows bent. You might see other people with their arms slightly forward ahead of their ears. This is an illustration of differences in range of motion and just the natural variation we see in our students. And again, if we go a little bit further, if we start to say, okay, well, joint range of motion is the expression of what's available at that joint at that time. The joint is where the bones connect and the muscles act upon the bone to create movement of the limbs. So if we're looking at a class of 10 people and we see lots of variation in warrior one in terms of the position of the arms, that's a reflection of limitations and range of motion in those students that can't reach their arms all the way up in the air. And the primary culprit is the muscle. Now it could be the fascia, it could be the joint, it could be something bony articulation wise, but most commonly it's going to be something in the muscle. Because remember the muscle is the force acting upon the bone to create the movement of, in this case, shoulder flexion. So now that we've covered that, let's take a look at uh, scapular movement. So we've got the scapula on the back. We've got two, two scapula and the scapula can shift up, which is elevation, can go down, which is depression, can draw in towards the spine, which is adduction, can move away from the spine with, which is abduction. So we've got similar terms there. And then as you look at someone's back and you look at the bottom tip of the scapula, as that tips laterally to the side, that's upward rotation where the other direction would be downward rotation. So those are different movements of the scapula. So as I ask people to interlace their fingers and draw their shoulder blades closer together, that's adduction. As I have people come into um, plank, that's abduction. As I ask people to come into downward dog, there's a bit of upward rotation of the scapula. Um, as I, this doesn't happen too, too often, but if you cue people in down dog to depress their scapula, that would be where that is. There really aren't any poses where we're asking people for scapular elevation, but it happens <laughs> because people tend to have tight, uh, upper traps and levator scapular scapula muscles. And so that will pull up on the scapula. Um, but that gives you a sense of scapular movement. Now, 
I said at the beginning, shoulder joint movement and scapular movement are different and described differently, which we've just gone through. But keep in mind, the shoulder joint is comprised of the humerus as the head of the humerus fits into the glenoid fossa of the scapula and the clavicle on the anterior aspect of the, the shoulder. So when the shoulder joint moves, yes, the scapula is gonna move also but it's just that we're describing these movements differently. So for instance, if you take someone in downward facing dog, the shoulders are in flexion and the scapula are upwardly rotating. So that's an example of both of those joint movements happening together, but they're described differently with respect to the actual um, bony parts of the body that are moving. So the other thing I should say is some of these movements are happening on their own, meaning we don't need to cue them. And this is really an area where teachers can get into trouble in terms of giving confusing cues that actually work against the anatomy of their students. And it really requires that you know the anatomy in order to be able to identify what are certain anatomical movements that I need to kind of coach my students into, or maybe I just want to emphasize them. And then what are anatomical movements that are just going to happen because that's the way the body moves. And I mean that in a good way. I'm not talking about a muscle compensation where we see something happen like scapular elevation, and it's because the upper traps are tight and we don't want to see that. So we want to maybe cue to relax the scapula a bit. These are movements that naturally occur in just the magic of the body and just the way the anatomy works. One of the most common ones and the thing that, you know, is, is really, I, I think the most beautiful illustration of this is the connection between shoulder flexion and scapular upward rotation. And essentially, it, it's a little hard to describe here on the podcast, but essentially what happens is if you look at the scapula from the back of the body, there's a little ledge, almost like an awning, and it's called the acromion. And when you look at the way the head of the humerus fits into the glenoid fossa of the scapula, the head of the humerus, if it weren't for the rotator cuff muscles and different connective tissue structures in the shoulder capsule itself, it would just smash up against that awning, almost as if you were standing under an awning and your head was smashing under, you know, on the underside part because the awning was too low. But in the body, in a healthy body, we've got the shoulder joint is, is a synovial joint. So there's fluid there. We've got bursa, we've got connective tissue structures. We've got the muscles, of course, we have fascia. So we've got some cushioning between the acromium and the head of the humerus. Now, as the shoulder moves into flexion, so again, imagine your student who's reaching their arms up to the sky. As the shoulder comes into flexion, the scapula naturally upwardly rotates. So that awning is now lifting up. And the reason it's doing that is to allow the head of the humerus to clear it so that it doesn't prevent the arm from going higher because the head of the humerus is just jamming into that awning, so to speak. <laughs> so that's a movement that naturally occurs. So if you then say to your students in warrior one, when they reach their arms up to the sky, hey, drop your shoulder blades, or hey, can you guys relax your scapula down your back? You're essentially interfering with that rhythm, that glenohumeral rhythm that's 
naturally going to occur. So this is one area where an incorrect cue can really lead to um, an unnatural movement in the student, something that feels really like a disconnect, no pun intended, and can also, if they're weight-bearing on their arms, be even more problematic because now we've interfered with the congruency of the joint. The congruency of the joint means, is there a good connection? Is it congruent? Are the surfaces congruent? And so this is, you know, part of what we want to see in a healthy joint. And you know, for those of us who are a little bit older, I know I can certainly attest to this. Sometimes you feel a little creakiness in your joints. That's just something that occurs over time. And that's why it's so healthy to continue to do yoga and resistance training to keep the muscles that support the joints healthy. So we've already covered a lot in terms of the shoulder joint structure, the movements the shoulder joint makes, the movements the scapula makes, We've talked a little bit about cues. So let's just go for a few minutes into some of the muscles that are going to be involved when we look at the shoulder itself. So if you look at the shoulder from the anterior aspect of the body, we're looking at pectoralis minor and pectoralis major, which are primarily responsible for inward, um, internal rotation, uh, adduction, and a bit of shoulder flexion. If we go to the lateral aspect of the shoulder, we've got the deltoid and the deltoid is divided into anterior, medial and posterior. And it also contributes to internal rotation on the anterior side, shoulder abduction on the medial side and a bit of, I believe a bit of external rotation if you look at the uh, posterior deltoid. Then you have the whole um, four pack of rotator cuff musculature. So you've got the supraspinatus, infraspinatus, teres minor, and subscapularis. I'm not going to go into massive detail here um, on, on the muscles in the rotator cuff, but if you think about the word cuff, what that essentially means is it cuffs over, it supports the shoulder itself. So the um, deltoid and the rotator cuff both sit around the shoulder joint. So those are two great muscles to strengthen if you've got some issues around the shoulder in terms of you know pain in the shoulder or weakness in the shoulder. We've got these muscles that sort of collaborate together in different uh, in different for in our case in different poses. If we go to the um, posterior aspect of the shoulder and we look at the connection between the ribs kind of wrapping around the side of the body and the scapula, we come up with the serratus anterior. This is primarily a muscle of scapular uh, abduction and upward rotation. And then if we look at somebody right from the back, we've got the muscles that draw the scapula together. So those are rhomboids and middle traps. And then we have the whole trapezius, the whole pack of, not really pack, but the whole trapezius muscle. When I say traps, I mean trapezius. The whole trapezius muscle that's divided into an upper portion, a middle portion and a lower portion. And it's just kind of laid on the back of the body starting at the occiput, which is the base of the skull and running all the way down to the last thoracic vertebrae and then fanning out and kind of anchoring onto the two scapula. So the upper trap elevates the scapula, the middle trap uh, adducts the scapula and the lower trap depresses the scapula. 
for our purposes in teaching different postures, especially, you know, things like cactus arms and interlacing the fingers behind the back, we're really looking at the collaboration between the middle traps and the rhomboids to create that scapular abduction. So that gives you a couple of just highlights of shoulder musculature. I'm not going into everything, but that just kind of gives you some highlights. And now we can take a look at some of the cues that we might use when we are teaching different postures that relate to shoulder musculature or even just shoulder action. So let's take a look at something like upward facing dog. So an upward facing dog, we have the shoulders in extension and upward rotation. I'm sorry, extension and um, external rotation. So shoulder extension is uh, a collaboration between the triceps and the lats, the latissimus dorsi. And shoulder external rotation is uh, primarily the collaboration between the infraspinatus and the teres minor, which are part of the rotator cuff. These muscles are not necessarily like commonly known by people. So I think in general, our cues are going to be things around, you know, open the shoulders. You could even ask people an up dog to sort of drag the heels of their hands back to engage the muscles of shoulder extension, like the triceps and the lats. The triceps and the lats are actually two muscles that people will know just from their time in the gym. So I think that emphasizing um, the, the extension by drawing the heels of the hands back and then using the names, making that connection for people can be really powerful in helping them learn what actions they're doing that actually create um, you know, greater stability and support in the posture and, and what the connection is between the movement they're doing and what muscle is helping them do that. Uh, I've talked a lot about the, the interlacing the hands behind the back and squeezing the shoulder blades together. Also see that in cactus arms, that's primarily scapular adduction. And so that's the collaboration between the middle traps and the rhomboids. And with that, you also get external rotation. So you also get infraspinatus and teres minor collaboration for external rotation. In pose, in downward facing dog pose, we're creating shoulder flexion as well as external rotation. The shoulder flexion is happening because of the alignment of the pose. I mean, you don't really need to cue somebody to do the shoulder flexion, but you will need to cue them to get them to externally rotate. And this is where that cue to roll the inner eyes, the elbows forward, if you've ever heard that, this is where that one will come up. And it won't be obvious to people not only to do it, but also what's helping them do it. So it can be helpful to say to people like, hey, roll the eyes, the inner eyes, the elbows forward. I want you to open your shoulders a bit. See if you notice any sensation of the shoulders opening more broadly, you've got some muscles on the back of your scapula that attach your scapula to your humerus, and they're going to activate to help you with this external rotation. That's probably a mouthful. I wouldn't necessarily, you know, memorize what I just said and repeat it. This is, again, I'm, I'm teaching the anatomy because I want to start to peel back the layers so you can see the why behind a lot of these cues. But I really gotta um, just give you a gentle suggestion. Learn the anatomy before you use any of these cues. Don't just kind of consume this podcast and then go in and, and, and regurgitate the, the cues. Um, up dog, down dog, warrior two, we've got the shoulder in 
we have the shoulders in abduction. But again, the alignment of the pose is just having them do it. So it's not like you're going to say, and you're using your deltoids here and your and your your middle deltoids and your supraspinatus. It's just kind of going to happen. The muscles are going to engage for them to do it. However, in something like plank. Uh, or low plank, but even more so in plank, you might talk to them in plank about, hey, push into the ground and see if you notice as you press away from the ground, your scapula moving away from your spine. You've got a muscle, the serratus anterior, that's helping you do that. You could also cue the same way in, in a pose like dolphin or crow. Those are great poses to do alongside plank as a theme to bring into your class, to bring into your sequence around scapular protraction and the um, contribution of the serratus anterior to doing that. Because quite frankly, in most people, the serratus anterior is weak. We know this from exercise science, from that whole you know kind of data source. And there are just from postural habits that people have different muscles that come up over and over again is generally weak and the serratus is one of them. So that's why oftentimes you'll see people in plank and they'll kind of be caving in. So their scapula are adducting. And if you ask them to press into the ground more, uh, you'll begin to see almost like that dome-like shape of the upper back that's the serratus anterior in action. So we did up dog, we did down dog, we did plank. If you have them do eagle pose, eagle pose is another one where you've got scapular protraction and upper rotation. So that's another good one for the serratus. As I said before, dolphin and crow are another good one. Um, warrior one, you don't have to cue shoulder flexion. You don't have to cue scapular upper rotation because as I said earlier, they're gonna happen on their own. For your students who have trouble with uh, flexion of the shoulders range of motion wise, you can just have them bring their hands to their heart or don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, how about that? Just don't worry about it. They're doing the posture. Warrior one is usually happening in a vinyasa flow. So they're not holding it for too, too long. Um, it's all good. I mean, the range of motion issue is, is um, alleviated to a certain extent through motion, through dynamic movement. It kind of improves the quality of the fascia's, fascia's relationship to the muscle, creates more slide and glide. So their range of motion should improve just as they warm up their body, as long as there's some, not something else going on. So, um, you know, the one thing I did mention, uh, shoulder internal rotation in thread the needle. Um, there aren't many times you intentionally ask people to do shoulder internal rotation. If you have them take archer arms, the elbow that's um, facing the ground, that shoulder is internally rotated. And then when you switch, the other one is. So I would definitely say, um, aside from thread the needle and archer arms, there really aren't a lot of postures where we're asking people to do internal rotation. So we did, um, we did uh, flexion, extension, external rotation, internal rotation. Um, the other, oh, scapular, I'm sorry, shoulder adduction. <clears throat> so bringing the shoulders closer to the spine. You'll see that in something like eagle. Um, 
not bringing the shoulders closer to the spine, sorry. Shoulder adduction, bringing the arms closer together is, is shoulder adduction. And you'll see that in Eagle. So that is, um, I think that pretty much covers just about all, all the movements. So we have shoulder adduction, abduction, extension, flexion, internal and external rotation, and scapular elevation, depression, upward rotation, and downward rotation. Isn't a lot of downward rotation. I can't really think of any pose where that's involved. Um, so that covers all the movements and gives you a taste of some of the muscles that create those movements. So I hope this has been helpful. Just kind of a quick review. I know this is a lot of words, <laughs> um, but it is, again, you can look at it as a review if you know it, an introduction if you don't. And, um, you know, this is all, it's really a lifelong process, friends, of learning the anatomy. So um, it's good to just kind of keep consuming this sort of information. And every time I teach it, I add something new. Every time I talk about poses, you know, there's something different. So it, it never gets old is the bottom line. So that's our episode for today. I want to remind you, of course, about the face, the training on Facebook that I'm doing tomorrow and Thursday, our workshop two, workshops two and three. Sign up on the website. On the events page, you'll see the link to join that training. Um, I want to thank all the new listeners to the podcast here, whether you find me on Podbean or iTunes. I want to thank all of you longstanding listeners. We're almost at 150 episodes and 50,000 downloads. So we are just going strong as a podcasting community. I love hearing from you uh, via email or comments on my social media, especially Instagram and DMs. I welcome them as well. So I want you to have a really, really good week. I hope to see you in these training sessions that I'm hosting this week, and I'll see you next week on the podcast here, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I'll see you next week. Namaste. Hi, everybody. Karen Fabian here, and thank you so much for listening to that episode. Before you hang up, before you disconnect and move on with your day, I just want to let you know, if you're like a lot of the yoga teachers that I talk to, you're looking for ways to break down anatomy into its key parts so that you've got an organized approach for your studying. Well, I'm going to tell you an easy way that you can get hold, get a hold of the topics that you should be studying. And they're all reviewed in my Learn Anatomy Challenge. This is a free video series that you can access online, watch the videos, download the guide that goes with it, and you'll essentially have an outline to shape the studying that you're doing because it takes the broad subject of anatomy and breaks it down into just the key topics that you need to know. So in order to get to the Learn Anatomy Challenge free video series, you're going to need to go to the special URL, the special web page that holds these videos. So if you're driving right now, you're probably not going to be able to obviously write this down. If you're able to write this down, I want you to just grab a pen and a piece of paper and just write down this URL. You can also send me a direct message on Instagram and I'll send you the link directly. If you're looking for the URL, you want to just go to it yourself. Uh, I'm going to give it to you right now. It is barebonesyoga.lpages.co forward slash 
learn anatomy challenge forward slash. And in between the words learn anatomy challenge are hyphens. So it's learn hyphen anatomy hyphen challenge and then forward slash. So again, I'll just read you the URL barebonesyoga.lpages.co forward slash learn hyphen anatomy hyphen challenge forward slash. So that's the web page that holds all of these videos. There's nine of them. Uh, and you can go through those and you can take notes. You can print out the uh, guide that goes with it. That would be uh, that will be a great companion guide to have in front of you as you're going through these videos. So again, if you have any trouble getting to it, just send me a direct message on Instagram and I'm happy to send you the link directly. Don't be on your own trying to study anatomy. Use this free video series to hone in on just the topics that you need to know. Good luck.